Before we get started, uh, and just a few announcements, connection cards um, on the app or the physical cards that are in the programs. We want to be praying for you. If there's anything we can be praying for, uh, please let us know. Also on the app is the Bible reading plan. Um, the bookmark is on there, or you can actually click on today's scripture and follow along in our two-year reading plan. And uh, we also, by having the app, you get notifications of our events and opportunities coming up. You can give through the app, or you can give online at wearestore.com. And just a few opportunities um, that we're hoping you might take advantage of. One is Kid City. We're trying to go from two to three classrooms. So we need around 10 more volunteers. You serve once a month. And we want to, like I said, we want to go to three. If you're interested in jumping on board, if you're kind of like, all right, here we go, I'm doing this, we would love for you to join us in Kid City. And then also the Women's Bible Study is back in action this Wednesday uh, at the living room, 7.30 p.m. to 9 p.m. I've heard it's fantastic. I didn't hear any cheers. <laughs> you got a couple grins. And uh, we're going to be reading some scripture on page 816 of your Bible. I had a Bible. Where did it go? Um, here in a few minutes. Um, so if you want to get a head start and turn to page 816. So we began this series a few weeks ago called Healthy. And our... Um, we begin with a picture of the reality of, that Christ wants for our lives. The reality being um, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through 7 gives us a picture of the heavenly reality that Jesus is trying to lead us into. And the verse that we used, it's at the end of Matthew 7, is verses 24 through 25. Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And I like to add to it, the rain of life came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And that's the reality that Jesus is trying to lead us into as his followers of, we can take it. We can take a beating of the winds and the rains and the storms because we have an, a really solid foundation on him who is the rock. So that's where he's leading us, a heavenly place of holy strength, rooted and grounded in him and his perspective on life, his habits, um, that we can withstand these storms. And over the past few weeks and over the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about specific topics that are related to building that kind of foundation. Uh, we're calling it healthy because there's different parts of our mind and our body and our spirituality that um, he might want to work on. He might want to refine and strengthen and so the past few weeks, we've talked about salt and light, which is what all Christians are supposed to be. We've talked about physical health. We've talked about emotional health. And then over like today and over the next few weeks, we're talking about relational health. Today is the focus of marital health. Uh, and then we're, next week, we're talking about um, like relational health, like healthy children. So for those of us who are, who are parents, teachers, aunts and uncles, have influence or, 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 or proximity to children, they're the next generation. How can we um, promote their healthiness um, and the way they're going to lead in the future? And then the last week, um, our counselor, who um, is phenomenal, is going to come in and speak on relational health. So you're going to get a, pro a professional uh, perspective on what it means to be relationally healthy. So one of my favorite podcasts, and I don't listen to hardly any podcasts. I actually tweeted about this, that I would rather have a blog than a podcasting in the day of the week because podcasts are typically someone talking for an hour in a very unpolished way. I'd rather not listen to unpolished material for an hour 
then, but I, I can't, I've totally messed that up. Boo. I don't want to listen to unpolished material for an hour. I want to read polished material for 10 minutes. Am I right? No one's yeah. with me? Join the resistance. But one podcast that is really good it, because it is so polished and so uh, prof- just really refined in his Mar- Malcolm Gladwell's podcast in particular. It's called Revisionist History. Season three in particular I found riveting. I love all of his stuff. I love his books. And one of his books, Gladwell suggests putting 10,000 hours into something will make anyone an expert. No one gets to the top of their field unless they put in at least 10,000 hours. So Carrie and I are not experts on marriage, but we, do, we are celebrating 15 years of marriage next month. And if my calculations are correct, and that, this could be incorrect because I'm not good at math, that's around 130,000 hours of marriage. So that, I mean, that makes, that makes us experts, right? According to Malcolm Gladwell, <laughs> just, just according to him. So, but within that, we've, we've been together romantically and in, in, in friendship for 20 years. 21. Uh, 21. I'm estimating. Um, <clears throat> we have three boys. We've worked together for, I don't know how long now, 10 years or so. Um, we, we've worked together in some capacity. So we, we've got all these different contexts of, of being together and figuring out how to do this and how to have a healthy marriage. <clears throat> so we thought it would be kind of fun to condense everything that we've learned over the first 15 years of our marriage and just throw it out there today. Maybe not everything, um, but not a lot everything, of good things. Not everything, a lot of things. There's, and the tips or strategies or habits that we have formed, they don't necessarily just relate to marriage. It could be just any relationship, your friendship. So if you're not married or don't plan to marry, that, that's okay. What I would t- say is grab a hold of these maybe strategies or tips or habits that we formed, and you might use them in the friendships that you have because having healthy friendships is um, sacred as well. So our lens today is marriage. We happen to be each other's best friend, but we also are married. Um, you might hear one or two angles that you might want to apply or use in your life. Um, and it, like I said, in addition to us speaking on relational health, we're going to have Eric come out in a couple weeks and share that as well. And so what you're going to get today is highly subjective. All right, cards on the table. This is just our opinions that spring out of our theology. Um, it may look different for you. So this is the picture. We're going to present a picture of marriage. It may not be the picture that works for your marriage, but there may be like one thing. They're like, ooh, I'm going to try that. That's kind of how we've worked is we see people who are older and wiser than us and, and have been in, in marriage longer, and we see one thing that they do or one thing they've told us. We're like, ooh, we need to grab onto that and make it ours as well, and it's really helped us out. And then some of this is just trial and error. You just learn by messing up and trying something else. So I want to start with theology. Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 22 through 33. I miss the days of having a microphone on my head, or I need three hands. Um, I'm going to read verses 22 through 33. There's a lot of verses we could choose from in regards to marriage, but this is our favorite. Wives, submit to yourselves, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Mutual submission. Some people read this verse and they start using it. They, they use it to back up patriarchy. It's a bad translation. It's mutual submission. 
to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So it's just back and forth, back and forth, love and sacrifice and mutual submission for one another. And our um, theology, our, the picture that God uses over and over again is just like Jesus did for you. That, that is what you imagine when you're married, and that's how it works. So what does it mean when he says the two shall become one? There's a really big historical meaning to that, and it goes back to the Old Testament in Genesis 2. God says the two shall become one, and the Hebrew word for one is echad. And later on, which echad means oneness made up of many parts. So there's more than one person involved in this kind of love. Later on in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So God, that, that word right there, one, in Deuteronomy is echad. It's the same word that God uses to describe marriage. So what in essence he is saying is, you have the ability, the invitation to have the kind of unity that the Trinity has, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That kind of intimacy and unity and love is possible in a marriage, according to Scripture. Uh, a husband and wife's unity is designed to be like God. So naturally, the antagonist to this is Satan, whose name in noun form means to obstruct. So Satan does not want that kind of unity between people and God or between people and people. He's going to try to obstruct that in any way. That's his entire existence is to um, disunify, to interrupt, to obstruct. So there is a battle. Um, That's a basic, like, real quick five-minute theology of marriage. So how does this play out today? It's in our lives, like what we've learned. Um, Like I said, we've picked up a lot along the way. That also includes walking with dozens, if not hundreds, of our friends through marriage problems, um, counseling, divorce, affairs, um, restoration. There, there has, it has run the gamut of, of uh, instances that we have seen in people's marriages. And so we, we get to use some of that experience and how we communicate what our methodology for marriage is. So we boiled it down to eight habits, rhythms, things that we do. So we're just going to fly through them. Number one is you have to die to yourself. So our way is the way of the cross, sacrificial love. Your oneness with Christ and oneness with your spouse is not designed for your happiness. It's designed for your holiness. Uh, I think I've used the term before, marriage is like a washing machine. It, it, you, you get like thrown around and it is sometimes it, like there's peaks and valleys, but ultimately what it is, it's a path towards holiness. Um, and I, I don't think that's, I don't think a lot of people get married because they want to be holy. I think a lot of times they think I want to be happy, but ha- holiness comes first. Happiness is an effect of holiness. Product. You want anything to, you just jump in anytime here. You want me to keep going? Number two is communicate. So to give you an example of, um, I'm 
probably a little bit more introverted than she is. So I have a tendency, and anybody who's like worked with me or on a project or anything knows I have a tendency to live inside of my own head. Many times I think I've done or said something in my head and I've communicated it and it's never come out. I've just processed it all in here and not told anybody. And like just today, we forgot the flash drive for the, the sermon recording. And I could have sworn I did it and it didn't happen. So this happens a lot where I live inside of my own head and I, I don't communicate what I'm thinking or feeling. And I just, especially if it's like small, I'll just file it away. And I've had, there's been a lot of times in our marriage where I'll say something and it'll typically come in a moment of stress or an argument or uh, like weakness where I've lost patience or I'm angry I'm, I'm emotionally not like even keeled at the moment and stuff will just spill out that I've just been filing away. And that, that, that happened a lot early on in our marriage. And Carrie taught me a lot about the art of communication, like communicating regularly and rhythmically and gently. That helps because I didn't know how to do that either. So being one with someone means you don't get to bottle stuff up anymore. Right? You, don't, you don't get to segment your life. It is oneness. It is complete unity. Everything that you have is hers. Everything she has is yours. That's the kind of path we have figured out. And for the sake of your health and the vitality of your marriage, it is really important to communicate really openly and regularly. I think this is um, the communication thing. I think you it's almost stereotypical that you would look at a marriage between a husband and wife and you have all these expectations that the husband's really bad at communicating and the wife is really good because she's talkative or something. I actually would argue the point that women, um, this is very typical, this is not a, not every woman is like this. But I do think that we have this, um, we have expectations that people we are close to should just know when something is gonna hurt us. They should just know this, duh, it's my birthday, they should know just to do something nice. They should just know especially like the earlier on in your marriage, you have the, in your head, you're thinking, well, I think this, so everybody should be thinking this. It's common knowledge. Um, and I think it's, I, it, and Aaron mentioned this, that we've walked with a lot of friends and colleagues um, with their marriage issues. We're not licensed counselors, but we are both pastors. He's been a pastor much longer in the title sense. And, um, and I would say that actually walking with people with marriage stuff is probably what we spent more time on with individuals than anything else. It's been about marriage, 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 marriage. And communication issue with women comes up so frequently. They just, they bottle up, they hold it in, they hold it in, they just have these expectations and they get to the point where they're not happy because he's not living up to the expectations or vice versa. And I would say this, um, I told a friend of mine this recently, when Aaron and I were first married, I told him he needed to make my birthday a big deal. <laughs> Who does that, right? Me. You do. Because I'd been dating him for a while, and, and his family, they celebrated birthdays, but Aaron's not Mr. Enthusiasm celebration. But I wanted that from him, and instead of like getting angry, and expecting and getting hurt every time something didn't happen. One, I lowered my expectations. But two, I also told him, like, I need it to be a special day. And since those early years, he has blown me away. He always makes it really special. Now I'm almost embarrassed that I asked him to do it. So I'm like, you really mean this, right? <laughs> you didn't just do this, I told you to. 
it, it, that part doesn't matter to me as much. But communicate things that you need and don't expect. Um, at, at the same time, lower your expectations. Um, and I think you can only do that once you communicate with each other. Make it a team effort rather than, I'm just going to make this decision in my head and just block them out of it. Um, yeah. I would like to add that um, I don't think either one of us are prone to this, but I've seen it play out in other relationships that we have and in other people's relationships. That manipulative communication is really toxic, mm. uh, like passive-aggressive like when you bottle stuff up and then you come at someone in a very passive aggressive way, we've all been the receiver on the receiving end of that and we've all probably dished that out and that is awful. It's just an awful way to treat people. And um, there, there's a, like communication, is, there's truth and there's grace. It's like when you sense tension, it, in, like engage it. Don't file it away and then, and, you know, it, and then it just grows into poison in your heart or your mind. The third tip, uh, what's mine is yours. Um, I don't know if this is true or not still, but I, I remember seeing this stat that money fights and money problems are the number one cause of divorce in marriage or in America. So when you become one, uh, it means physically, emotionally, and financially. You're not roommates. Right? You, you are one. Everything that is mine is hers and everything is, that is hers is mine. That includes our bank accounts. Like we don't have two separate bank accounts. I know that's getting into like the, the minutia, but it is literally everything is shared. We know everything and have everything. Um, I mean, just last night she called me because she was with a friend and this friend was in need and said, hey, we need to give them some money. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like let's Venmo, boom, made it happen. But it's like everything, every dime we spend is, it is there is an open communication. It is ours to decide what we want to do with it. So that just having that mentality really helps as well. Now, when it comes to chocolate, uh, I'm, what's mine is mine. <laughs> if he wants a mine, I'll share it. But I will say this about the what's mine is yours. I, I, I know that sounds crazy that we have that much accountability with each other, but once again, it comes back to the oneness. We find something in our life that becomes so powerful um, and can really separate us. And it can, you can even start to hide things when it comes to money and and. To us, that's kind of where the spiritual battle seeps in, to separate. Um, that's a personal choice we made to do the bank accounts. You may have other, other systems. That's, that's the best uh, accountability for the two of us. Um, and it also, um, we both have equal say over how our money is spent, if that makes sense. Um, but it's not, just, it's not just money. We actually know each other's passwords to everything. That's another thing that we don't keep secret. And in our house, we tell our kids the only secrets mommy and daddy keep from each other are when we have birthday surprises. Um, I, I can tell you that if, if you tell me something that will affect my husband, I'm going to tell him. And I would say the same thing. If I was communicating something with you, I actually, I'm at this point where I would say, you know, maybe don't repeat it, but you could tell your spouse. We try not to, now don't get me wrong, if you have a personal thing and it's your secret, I'm not going to share that with Aaron. That's different. But if it affects him, he's going he's gonna to know. Same thing with the passwords. We don't check each other's email, but maybe every once in a while, maybe we'll actually just for practical purposes. Uh, but we know each other's passwords to everything um, because it's the same password. <laughs> hmm. 
one, two, three, four. <laughs> <clears throat> so number four, healthy boundaries. It's the Michael Scott password. Um, healthy boundaries. Um, part of that Ephesians verse is you leave your, mo- your mother and father. This is marriage marks a new season of relational um, connection to other people other than your spouse. So a couple of ways that we keep healthy boundaries. Um, number one is we affirm our spouse to everyone. We never talk bad about each other to anyone. Like that is just bad form. You just don't do that. It just it only will cause um, trouble. And I mean, we might tease each other openly in front of other people about our quirks or our, you know, some of our weirdness. But there's no. I don't go to my parents to complain about something that Carrie did. I would never do that. Maybe in year one or two of my marriage, I would do that. But we've learned a lot and how that causes problems. Um, your calendar, your vacations, your life decisions. Your family doesn't get to decide those for you anymore. It, that, that, those days are over. So whether it's a family vacation tradition that you, your fa- extended family has always done, uh, whose parents you're staying with when you go to visit them, when you ha- if you have kids, how much time do the grandparents get uh, with the grandkids? Um, I've seen families get really manipulative about this stuff. Um, not necessarily ours. I've just seen it. Um, set the boundaries. All right. it, it will be really hard at first. It'll be unpleasant. Uh, but it's kind of like pulling off a Band-Aid. Once you establish really healthy boundaries and you keep them firm, it's going to create really healthy relationships, not only in your marriage, but with. Uh, it's going to create better relationships with your family um, or friendships, even if they don't see it that way. It's healthier that way. I would say this too, with the healthy boundaries within your marriage, also it's important that you recognize those um, around friends as well. Because here, like most of our biological families are, live somewhere else. And so we are a family together. You know, you kind of establish some connectedness here that become your family. And that's, that's another place that healthy boundaries need to be in place. Um, you know, that you, if you have an issue with your spouse, the first person to go to is your spouse, as hard as it is. As much as you want advice, bring them into it. Um, Make it a, a team thing. And I think this, too, um, with healthy boundaries. Um, make sure you're protecting time for just the two of you away from other people. And that includes away from your kids. Well, that's healthy boundaries. Whoops. That's a really important point, so we're going to say it twice. But that's where healthy boundaries kind of comes into is... Um, I'm probably going to say this later too, but I'm, I'm going to go with it. One thing we tell our, our kids is, you know, we do a lot of dates and they ask questions and I'm glad that they ask questions. They should ask questions. Um, but we'll say, they'll say, well, why can't we go? And we always make sure to explain to them, we love you. We love spending time with, with you, but you know what? We really love each other and we really love to be together. I, I'm a product of a, a divorced family. I've shared that in here before. And I can't tell you when I was a kid I can probably count on my hand the number of times my parents embraced in front of me, and it made me feel so safe. They loved each other. It made me feel very grounded. And I don't know that I realized it until they were divorced, um, that I kind of lost that sense of foundation with them. And so it's a comfort for kids to see that, to see a parent's marriage be a priority. Um, So it's good for them to see you date, even if it makes them feel left out. Number five, we embrace and cherish our differences. 
So scientists at the University of Pennsylvania found that male brains have more connection within each hem hemisphere, while female brains are more interconnected between hemispheres. So just a little nugget that reminds us that men and women are physically, emotionally, biologically, genetically wired differently. And there's no like set gender role, but we are, you, you, there is something to be said about opposites attract. You're just different people. And so you got to figure out how do you navigate that. We embrace that. Um, but like I said, we don't believe in like traditional man and woman roles. Uh, but it is figuring out how do our roles work with each other? How are we wired differently? How do we complement each other? What, what is going to breathe life into each other by embracing these differences? So like one example would be that Carrie has ADD. And I don't know if everybody knows that, but... Um, it went undiagnosed for a long time, but about five or six years ago, she was diagnosed with it, and she's been figuring out, trying to figure out the, the path with medication since then. And one thing we figured out over the last few years, because tasks and um, correspondence and remembering things are so difficult for her, is that it would be best if I served as kind of like her administrative assistant. So I tell people that, and they usually think I'm joking, but I'm not. Like, if you want to get a hold of her, if, you, if you've been trying to get a hold of her, like with text or email or phone call, contact me. I'll make sure she gets the message and gets back to you. And that, that's probably a little, like, untraditional, <laughs> but it, it's beginning, it, it works for us, and we're figuring out, um, it's a way I get to serve her, because I'm wired differently. I'm a little bit more task-oriented. And so it's just a way like, oh, I'm going to embrace this. And it all, I mean, another thing that comes with that is typically people who have ADD are unbelievably focused for long amounts of time and, and creative, and they, they see things from a completely different angle. So it's, I've, it's a really beautiful thing to be able to embrace that as well. But she's probably got an example. Well, that wasn't embarrassing at all. Um, I'm an adult. I do know how to respond <laughs> to phone calls. But it is really nice to have a, a husband who kind of compliments me in that area. And it took us a while to get there. We, I will say this, Aaron and I have the privilege of, of working together. And I say the privilege because I don't know, I feel like so, I feel like we have a very healthy marriage, but so much of it is one, because of the accountability we have within the church. Just the, just the fact that we sit up here and tell you things about Jesus, there's accountability there. Um, but also, um, that we spend so much time together and we've had a lot of practice to learn how to do partner together in life. Um, so, you know, I feel like the, uh, we've learned how to like puzzle piece each other, which is really great instead of shame each other for not being good at certain things. But because he pointed out a fault, I get to point out a fault because that's how we, I'm just kidding. That's a really terrible thing to say, but I will say this. One thing that I, the beginning of our marriage, Aaron and, I, Aaron and I were born and raised in Indiana where we saw very traditional husband and wife, husband and wife roles. Um, and I married somebody who has a lot of command in him. He's just naturally a leader. Um, and the thing is, I am too, not in the same way. But I sort of, for years, kind of cowered a little bit because I thought I was supposed to, not because he told me to. He just would, he would go ahead and do it because then I would just kind of submit. Um, and I really thought that's what I was supposed to do with submitting meant you don't, if, it, if your opinion is different than his, then his goes and you just kind of quiet down. I wanna, I wanna emphasize, Aaron did not force that on me, that I'm responsible for that. Same way that now um, 
I'm here and I've been officiated as a pastor, something I never believed was okay um, until probably a couple of years ago, to be honest. And it's because I have a husband who naturally wants to lead and be in control and be the one making decisions, constantly giving me control and asking me to make decisions and constantly empowering me. And I'm thankful because here's a person who, and we've learned this together. I'll give myself a little credit there, but Aaron is naturally just going to go and he's just going to lead. And if you don't follow, see ya, eat his dust. And so I've learned to kind of just hang on to his shoes. Um, Andy, you know, our, our former resident, um, his first few times working with us, I think he was quite shocked. He is married to his wife, Janet, who is very quiet, introverted. And so, you know, I don't think she's, I've never heard her yell ever. Um, but when Andy was with us, we were making decisions about something. And because he elevates his voice, I do it too. I've learned to match his energy, not because we're fighting, but because that's how he's so fast paced. That's how I get hurt. And I've learned how to do it. Poor Andy thought we were having marriage problems. And he was like over there, not saying a word. <laughs> well, it's, uh, if any of you have ever taken strengths finders, Carrie and I are both, are both number one belief. So we each think we're right all the time. <laughs> they, that's Isn't everybody? <clears throat> but we've, but it's interesting because that's why we're not opposites. We're both very um, um, strong-minded. But honestly, for years, I dampened it because I thought I was supposed to. And I'm thankful for the Lord giving me a husband who has almost single-handedly raised me out of that. Not completely single-handedly. You guys had a hand in that too. But anyway, that's... Um, that's been an area of difference that has been growing us both. All right, we're going to fly through these last three. Number six, continue the pursuit. So you don't, you don't ever have your spouse figured out. It is a constant pursuit of her or his heart. Um, and life is constantly changing. Jobs are constantly changing. Kids may come into the equation. Life circumstances, maturity, sex, like all of these things go into the changes that happen over time which is going to continue the need of pursuing their heart and their, and their mind. So going up, what's helped us with that practically is she already said it is going on real dates, like schedule them like you would a dentist appointment or your kids sports or it it is a, a, on the calendar. It is not just whenever we have time, we'll go. I just saw a friend of mine on Facebook who's they're married and have kids. They said it was their first date they've been on like three years. That's a problem. Like I, I have a legitimate problem with that. And that's just my really strong opinion. I think that is really bad. Um, so I, I think that scheduling those in regularly, whatever that means, uh, it's been really beneficial for us. And we've been able to do that because some of you have babysat our children. So thank you. <laughs> yes, yeah, thank you. You're awesome. Keep going. Oh, I was going to say, continuing the pursuit. I love that line. Same thing for us ladies to pursue our spouse. Um, I think one thing you, you can do when you've been married for a while is sort of feel like you just know each other so well that you can kind of be those people that got to eat and not a word is spoken. So I have a solution for you. Aaron and I, Aaron loves to play the question game where we ask really ridiculous, dumb questions like, what's the most comfortable chair you've ever sat in? <laughs> They're dumb. But they I do not like that game, for the record. <laughs> but to be fair... They start interesting conversations. They keep us from talking about ministry and kids, which we love to talk about those things. But when we're on a date, I really want to make sure that I'm 
really knowing what's going on with Aaron, just as a person. Um, and I feel like you do that through fun and good food and conversation and hanging out, not through emotional, like, what's your hardest thing right now? It doesn't have to be that. Start through the chair question. It could be fun. I'm just saying. Number seven, have a life mission. Uh, for us, it's the Great Commission. Like we both hope to just follow the command, go and make disciples, and that means different things to each of us. But we're constantly talking about um, a lot of our conversations revolve around that. Um, we pursue different things, but we also pursue some similar things. I mean, we both work uh, on staff together at Restore Church, um, but we're constantly kind of open to what God's leading us to do next and. You know, one example that's like both of us is we want our kids to love Christ. We don't want to get in the way of that. And that is something that uh, we, we want to actually influence their, their love of Christ and lead in a positive way. And so that's something we talk about a lot, probably more than anything else. Um, did you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I think the life mission thing, we, you didn't mention this because we did it so long ago. Put words to paper. I mean, it sounds silly. Because you think you just have this assumption of what this, and this isn't just if you're married, by the way. This is for anybody. I think it's so healthy to have sort of a, a, a very broad kind of life mission. It gives you some direction without having something super planned out, right? And for us, really, that turning point, the, the place that we, I think we've been married for probably four or five years at this point, and we kind of came to a place where we had just come to the Lord and said, we have open hands, we'll go where you call us and that's our life mission and we wrote it down so I would say that's a good idea too is to write something down and then finally we rest together um, we didn't start taking family vacations until like five years ago um, our vacations were just kind of going to visit our families and somewhere along the line we thought we need an actual vacation like just me and her or more often than not just uh, our us, the two of us and our boys just us, just our family doing something together. And so for at least now, two or three weeks out of the year, it is a family vacation where it's you know, maybe a week, it's just me and Carrie, but then the other two weeks, we do something intentional with our boys and no one else is allowed or invited. And it's been really good um, for us, both in our marriage and in just our family. Okay. So our hope, uh, you know, is that we're... My, my hope, our hope, is that you will start to or continue to experience the oneness and the unity that Christ wants for your marriage. Um, the discipleship way of life is really simple, but it's incredibly hard. Like, it's clear how God's leading us into the kingdom, but one example of like it's really hard to do is love your enemy. That's part of the kingdom. That's really hard to do. So it's really simple, but really hard. But so what I would encourage you to do is just to try to identify one area of growth in your relationship, whether it's your marriage or your friendship, that you will pursue aggressively. Like, okay, I am going to, that is something that struck a chord with me, and I'm going to try to move into that reality and put some steps or a journey to follow the Holy Spirit into that. And we're going to continue that journey over the next two weeks. So let's pray, and then we're going to sing one more song.